0: Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions, because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning. You know,
1: for me, reality is this. This is last Tuesday morning. For you listeners, of course, your reality tells you it's Saturday morning. Now, Charlie Dobbin, our master gardener in Prince Edward County, also lives in my Twilight world. She's waiting for our main tech guy, Joel who is home in front of his computer, all set to give her the signal that, yep, the connection is good. So, let's go ahead and start recording our show. Hey, Charlie, good morning. Oh, my goodness, Frankie, what a wind-up for the intro. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to give a little extra oomph into the intro, you know. Well,
2: I can hear that. You sound pretty oomph right out there. (laughs) Just kidding. So, how are you, Franklin? Have you had a busy week since we last chatted? Hey, you know, Charlie,
1: things have been pretty quiet. But wait a minute. Uh, Last Saturday, you'll remember, was a pretty nice day. Best of the bunch, actually, on the long weekend. So my youngest son, Toby, came out to the farm with his wife, Katie, and three of my grandchildren, Sydney, who is 11, Ellie, who is 9, and Sammy, who is 7. I hope you kept your proper distance during the visit. Uh, Yep. We never got closer than about 10 feet, although I must admit I was dying to hug them all. But I didn't.
2: That's tough, eh? Oh. Did, did everybody have fun despite no hugs?
1: Yeah, a oh, little braggadocio here. They all fed Daddy Swan. <laughs> oh. oh, you've got them
2: in training, do you? Yes. Uh, guess what? Doctor, do very little. I've got news that can top that. <laughs> At last count, we had six cygnets. Of course, a cygnet is a baby swan from our nearby swans in the pond. And I'm also afraid to say that we saw a very large snapping turtle in the same body of water. Wow. But the good news is, with the relaxing of the rules of isolation, a lot of folks are taking advantage of the nice weather and reconnecting with nature in the parks that are now open. Even my daughter went on a seven-kilometer hike up into the escarpment during some of the nice weather last weekend.
1: Oh, that's great. Say hi to Sydney for me, would you? For sure. And, you know, I'd better mention that Emmy, the eight-year-old daughter of our tech guy, Joel, isn't home today. She's staying with her grandma and papas this week. Uh, Would that be Oma and Opa? Uh, No, Oma and Opa are Joel's mom and dad, and Grandma and Papa are Joel's wife, Kristen's parents. Well,
2: just in case all the grandparents and Emmy are listening this morning, thanks for taking good care of the youngest member of the crew, Emmy, and we hope she'll be with us next week. We did give her homework, after all. Now, Frankie, you've got your regular job to do,
1: right? Radio, you know, since this show is recorded, we can't take any phone calls, of course, and must rely on your questions, Charlie, and they must be in the form of an email. So, if you'd help us out for next week's show, please send your gardening question to Charlie, and here's his address: c. at mzmedia.com. That's D O B B I N, by the way.
2: <laughs> remember, remember when we first met? You called oh, me. Lord, <laughs> Yes. Charlie Dubbin, Dubbin. Dubbin. <laughs> I, I know. If you know, I, I think I hit you. It's a good thing we didn't have uh, video in those ah. days. Probably would have been arrested for abuse or
1: something. Uh, my my <laughs> shins, my shins were black and blue after that taping.
2: <laughs> well, that was live in those days. That's all. Yeah, that's me, right. So, um, and as well as we pointed out last week, our listeners have been wonderful over the years in passing along some terrific gardening tips. And if you'd like to follow up and see them. Go to my website, which is charliedobbin.com, and you'll find them on the
1: little tab across the top under Tips. Oh, and by the way, our show is podcast. So anytime you want to hear any of the shows that we have done on The Garden Show, just simply go to zoomeradio.ca. Uh, hey, oh, we're at our first break, Charlie, so hang in there, folks, and we'll be right back.
0: Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, time
1: to get to our questions here. I have a... Hey, we got a note from an old friend, Joan Love. Remember oh. Joan sent you those wonderful... Chocolates. Oh, man. You've got it. it. There's the <laughs> chocolate-covered almonds to die for. Oh, oh, She's the best. My. Well, anyway, she says... She says, when should you top-dress gardens? Should you wait for plants to show themselves or before they come up? So, it's a good question. Um...
2: It's easier to top dress before they show up because you don't have to work around the plants. But then again, you want to be careful that you're not piling whatever you're top dressing with on top of those little shoots that haven't yet poked their noses up through the surface of the soil. So I'd be inclined to wait until you're just starting to see the plants unless you really know where they are. I know Joan has a lot of gardens, but she's had them for so many years. She might know exactly where every hosta is so she can work around uh, where they haven't yet emerged though. By now, they probably have started to poke up. And I'm, I'm not quite sure whether she's top dressing with soil. Um, great idea. This perfect time of year to get some organic material onto the surfaces of our soil, of our garden soil. I always like to say, you know, kind of think in terms of a minimum of a half an inch every year because of the natural decomposition of the organic material. So minimum of a half an inch. Um, but if she was talking about top dressing with a mulch, like the chips of bark, I would hold off on those. Always hold off with your mulch covering. That's a two to four inch or five to ten centimeter layer of, of mulch till the soil has warmed up. So that's more like middle of June before we do any mulching. For now, top dressing with organic material, great idea.
1: Okay, uh, I have a question here from Shirley, uh, whom I live with. Uh, she, she's been dying to get this question to you, so I, I said, I promise to ask. So, she says, when should I put duck poo on my grass? Duck poo, now what the, well, where is she getting duck poo Actually, from? there's a place on, uh, let's see, Aurora Road, uh, King Cole Duck Farms. And they, they sell it uh, right, right uh, in a huge uh, lot. And it's actually, uh, I can't remember the name of the darn thing, but they advertise it right on the road there. It's okay. I remember getting um, duck compost from Pick-A-Mix. I actually met them
2: at the home show years ago, and uh, they offered a bag, and it was great. It was it, You're right. It was bedding from the duck farm, very well composted, and the bedding is wood chips. So um, it's been composted. It's been outside for at least a year, if not longer, and mixed around. So it almost looks like shredded like kitty litter. It's very light. It's, it's wood-based. It has been saturated with duck manure, but it doesn't smell bad. Like it's it, it's. And I top dressed my gardens with it. Now I guess Shirley's thinking about top dressing her lawn with it. Um, I'm always a little hesitant to put any kind of a manure product on a lawn if you're planning on walking on the lawn because manure products or you know products with manures in them tend to be a little on the sticky side when it gets wet. Um, I'd be more inclined to go with a lawn top dressing if I was Shirley and keep the duck poo for the. Garden gardens and the time to do it is now get those lawns if you particularly that's always kind of the first thing we can get to are the lawns so we rake out the dead stuff we dethatch if we have a lot of thatch buildup. we aerate if we have access to a core aerator and top dressing and overseeding absolutely yes now's the time
1: okay is there any particular brand that you would recommend say a scott's uh, anything like that, or you mean like you mean for a lawn top dressing, yeah, or yeah. For,
2: well, Scott's is more of a fertilizer company, but um, you know what, just looking at the pick a mix website, they have something called the Grass Grower Lawn Top dressing. It is not inexpensive, but it is a, a nice weedless mix comprised of 60% compost blend and 40% coarse sand, which is a very good idea because we don't want to just put straight topsoil or triple mix onto our lawns. We want to ensure we've got good drainage through Uh all the grass plants. Uh, And that's exactly what I'm doing here is sorting out with whoever's going to be hydro-seeding my new lawn uh, what percentage of, of sand versus soil we're going to be putting down over top of my rather ugly fill.
1: Okay, I have just remembered the location of that place where uh, Shirley picks up the duck poo. It's on uh, Aurora Road, just about, oh, maybe half a click uh, east of Woodbine. So that will give you some sort of direction for those of you who uh, live in our our area, Stouffville, Newmarket area. Uh, Actually, I want to squeeze in a question from me. I've been dying to ask this question forever and a day. You know how much I love garlic. How easy how easy is that to grow, and what kind is best to plant? Oh, Frank, this is a great question. It's easy to grow. I, I don't think there's an easier
2: crop than garlic. Um, best time to plant here in Ontario is in the fall. <clears throat> and all you do, and basically you take one of those big cloves of garlic. Now, that's not one you buy at the grocery store necessarily, or if you are buying your garlic at a grocery store, ensure it has not been imported from China. Uh, Chinese garlic uh, is tends to be irradiated across, when it crosses the border because of a need to keep it from sprouting. It's on a ship and it's in a refrigeration and it'll start to grow so they kill it and it won't grow for you if you try and grow it in your garden. But there's so many places to get great garlic. There's garlic growers who have great websites. There are garlic festivals. So what you do is you get yourself off to a garlic festival. They're usually in June or July in Ontario. Every Almost every community has a garlic festival. And, um, and you get to yourself some really yummy garlic. All you need is sunny so a sunny, well-drained spot in your garden. You break the big monster clove into little cloves and poke them down into the ground
1: with the pointy ends up. Okay. Um, Here's a good question that's connected really from Aldina M. in Cambridge. She says, if I plant garlic cloves that are sprouting now indoors, would I be able to harvest them in the fall? I'm growing some that I'll harvest in summer, which I planted in the fall. I started growing garlic from one garlic head, with four clothes about three years ago and this year I have two rows about Two and a half dozen garlic heads. So there you go. Good for you, Aldina. And she's writing from Cambridge. So if she's got
2: garlic sprouting right now on her counter, then yes, go ahead, plant it. Um, Why not? And recognize, like, plant immediately. The sooner you get garlic, if you are going to plant garlic in the spring, you want to get it in the ground as early as possible. Because it does take a while for those little cloves to mature. Any garlic that was planted last fall will be harvested roughly in July. Any garlic that's planted now in the spring will not be harvested until after that first crop. So it'll be more like September by the time she's in a position to dig up what will hopefully
1: be big, fat, juicy cloves. Wonderful. Okay, Uh, we're up to our very uh, next break here on the show. So hang in there, folks. Charlie Dobbin, our master gardener, will be back here on Zoomer Radio along with yours truly, Frank Broctor, in just moments
0: daffodils and daisies bluebells and begonias for scythia and foxgloves, marigolds magnolia lavender and lupins dahlias delphiniums stalks Stalks, hollyhocks tulips and sweet williams you've picked the right place for everything floral this is the garden show with charlie dobbin exclusively on zoomer radio well, Charlie, we're
1: back to our questions now. Uh, and this is in from Rosemarie Bowman. Says, hi, Charlie. My friend Kathy from London can't help me this year. So my garden may not look as lush this year. I'm sending you pictures of my clematis uh, or clematis, whichever way you want to produce that. And because I went out to trim it for spring and found it had sprouted at the bottom as well as near the top. My question is... Can I still cut it back now? I like to think I'm somewhat email savvy, but this has taken me five days to create. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, because she remember Rosemary sent a number of photographs with the email. Which is, I think, part of what took her a bit to get it all organized.
1: Right. She also adds, Charlie, that I'd also like to know if I have to add more soil under the black garden material or just add more mulch on top. Right.
2: Okay, so the question about the clematis. And this, uh, just so everybody knows, because this is the time of year where every email is time sensitive. So uh, uh, Rosemary would have written this email roughly two weeks before this goes to air. So I'm sure that she's handled this one way or the other by now. Personally, I would cut the the clematis down regardless of how many green leaves are up on the tips. I would go right down um, roughly 6, 8, even 10 inches high off the ground, and the rest all gets cut out. Um, so you just decide what height you're going to do that based on access in there and and you want to go down to a pair of buds because they'd be very obvious to see that and then i think uh, 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 sorry and then i think um the other thing when she says add more soil under the black garden material i think she's referring to black garden mulch so she's got black uh chips there and she just wonders like so some people will do that they'll actually scrape the bark back They'll add or, or do whatever bit of cultivating they're going to do in the way of adding mending the soil. Then they'll put the mulch back, and then of course they'll also usually add some mulch because you do want your mulch layer to be two to four inches thick, so five to ten centimeters. So it's up to you. Uh, every now and then you are going to have to add some more soil, but remember, as the mulch breaks down, it's adding organic material. So I'm a pretty lazy gardener. If if I've got mulch on the surface, I am. Not ever scraping it back. I am just adding to the top and letting the stuff underneath decompose and add good organic material to the soil
1: below. Well, there you go, Rosemary. And by the way, she closes out her note with uh, thanks, take care, stay safe, and say hello to Frank. Well, thank you, Rosemary, <laughs> and hi to you. All righty. Uh, oh, here's another question actually in from Aldina, whom we've heard from before in Cambridge there. Uh, Hi, Charlie. I have saved different colored Indian corn kernels from last year that I bought for decorating. And I was wondering if could I plant these and how do I go about it? Well, there you go.
2: I think that's a really great question. I have never had that question before. Um, Yeah. Nobody's ever asked, how do you grow Indian corn? So assuming like I know based on experience that corn seeds do not Last very long, so the the germination level on saved corn seeds is not very high generally, but if you 've got Indian corn and it 's not twenty years old but it was hopefully last year 's corn, then sure, why not you you know what you would do you basically peel some of the kernels off of the cobs and then soak them overnight, particularly if they're a little bit wrinkled and wizened because they will have lost moisture and you want them nice and plump and hydrated before you try to plant them. So I'd soak them overnight in room temperature water, just in a little bowl. And then if you're, I'm assuming you're going to plant straight outside, which is typically what we do with corn. We don't usually try and start it inside. Just make sure your soil temperatures are not too cold. Um, Optimal temperatures for starting corn seeds outside, the soil should be between 55 and 60 degrees Fahrenheit or 13 to 16 degrees Celsius. Now, how are you going to do that without a thermometer? Hard to say. (laughs) Back in the day, people well, nowadays, usually we'll use our elbow, just like you know when you're you're do, you warm up a baby's bottle, and you you don't want it to be too hot. And you use your inside of your arm to test temperature. Same idea. You can use your arm to test soil temperature. You don't want it to be if it's cold on your arm, it's too cold for the corn. And then plant those seeds one to two inches deep, anywhere from eight to twelve inches apart, depending on the size of the ears, and see what happens. Why not? A ton of fun. One quick little uh, addendum, though. If you're growing corn you're planning on eating, because remember, the so-called Indian corn is the colored ornamental corn. We we can eat it, but we don't usually. But if you're growing sweet corn that you do plan to eat, try and keep these corns well apart from each other. Otherwise, you're going to get a whole bunch of cross-pollination and you're going to end up with some really weird-looking corn.
1: Okay. (laughs) Heavens knows we don't want weird-looking corn. Okay, Uh, Here's a note from... uh, Let me see. Oh, yeah. Anne in Oakville. Hi, Charlie. I have a huge blue spruce in my front yard. A lot of needles came off this year. Should I get rid of them? And then she says, I try to grow hostas and ferns under the tree. It never gets really big. It gets a little bit of morning sun under half of it. Now, I put some begonias under that tree. They look okay. Do you recommend anything else that will flourish under it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's from Anne in Oakville Huge blue spruce Funny thing about those huge blue spruces uh, They start out like puppies And they turn into Great Danes And they do get huge So what do you do with all those needles? Many people get tired of having all those needles piling up and they will rake some of them up. Uh, And if you or a neighbor are growing rhododendrons or azaleas or magnolias or blueberries uh, or hydrangeas, then save some of those spruce needles and use them as a mulch around the base of any of the acid-loving plants that I just mentioned. So these are plants that prefer the pH Less than neutral, and those needles treated like a mulch, so layered around the base of the plants, anywhere from an inch to two inches deep or thick, will slowly decompose and slowly lower and help maintain a lower pH around some of the acid loving plants. So I would do that. Whatever you do, well, it sounds like she already has. So people get frustrated with those big blue spruces, spruces in general, and they tend to limb them up. So they take off lower limbs. When the spruce wants to very naturally have branches right down to the ground, and when the snow falls, the snow just very naturally uh, cascades off of the spruce trees. They're the ones, you know, the Christmas card spruce trees. Um, When we limb them up, then we end up with these weird sort of spaces underneath. Uh, Weird because it's dark. It's not a very friendly environment to grow with things, and you also have all that sap dripping down the trunk of the tree from where all those limbs were taken off. So tough, very tough uh, environment to grow anything. Um, yeah, I mean, hostas, ferns, things that can handle, remember, an acid environment and low light conditions. And if you remove some of those needles then and, and get some soil, top dress, get some good quality triple mix, whatever, get that in there underneath to try and help other plants grow. And one more thing you can do if you are really, you know, sort of want to have a show at the base of that spruce or any old acid-producing plant, so old cedar hedges, old spruces, old pine trees, go to your local garden center or your local co-op or TSC and grab a bag of horticultural lime. Horticultural lime is, is um, granular lime that's used to raise the pH of soil typically. So all I do, I mean, you can read the bag, it'll give you some information. To do this properly, you should test your soil first, then you would distribute the lime, then you'd wait a couple of weeks and you would test your soil again for the pH. And you can do that with a simple pH tester at home. You don't need to send that off to a lab or anything. But, uh, but you can temporarily modify the pH at the surface of the soil with the lime and then your begonias or coleus or impatience or whatever you want to plant in and around the base of that spruce will be happier and fatter and juicier but only for one season you'd have to continue with the lime addition
1: every year okay every time you mention blue spruce uh, I, I can't help but go back. Oh, gosh, over 30 years ago when I lived in Goodwood uh, or just a little bit north of Goodwood, we had a, a store, Di and I, at the uh, Weaver's Loom in, in downtown Stouffville. And right across the street was the IGA store. So Jack Chambers, who was then the manager, and Graydon Card, who had Card's hardware, uh, they were uh, tasked with going out to cut down the huge Bruce Bruce for Christmas, to plant it, you know, in the center of town. Well, uh, the boys, I guess, were celebrating a little bit. Anyway, they went out and cut the wrong blue spruce down. They went to the wrong lawn and (laughs) chopped this beautiful blue spruce town brought it back into town to discover oh my god, they'd taken it from the wrong lot and they had to have a woodchopper's ball to raise money to replace the oh, darn no. thing. Oh yeah, just, It was a, just a scream. I haven't oh. seen those guys in years and I hope they're still around. Anyway, there you go. That's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, th- this next question comes in from Sandra Osborne in Etobicoke. Uh, Dear Charlie, good morning to you and Frank and first, thank you for finding a way to continue with your show. She says, I've been a faithful listener for many years and found many useful tips. Now, this year, I've been buying many more pots of spring bulbs to cheer up the house, tulips, hyacinths, and mini daffodils which have all stopped flowering now. Now, I've cut off the dead flowers and put the pots in the basement to die down. Now, usually, I only have one or two pots, and I dry the bulbs in the garage over the summer and plant them in the fall. And they've all done very well in the past years. As I have many more this year, I need to know where to plant them. Can I let them die down and plant them, say, at the end of May or early June, before my perennials grow over the existing bulbs? I usually uh, fill any gaps with annuals. So in the fall, it's kind of difficult to remember exactly where the spring bulbs are, and it's not easy getting to them. Your help sure be appreciated. Love your show, Sandra in Itobico.
2: Hmm. So good question, and I like that she's been buying more pots of spring bulbs to cheer up the house. That's uh, I hear you on that one for sure. So yes, indeed, good idea. Once the flowers are done, we cut off the flowers. Now I hope I hope Sandra didn't race those. Um, <clears throat> now no longer flowering pots of bulbs down to the basement too quickly. I hope she let them grow on a bit with the green leaves because the green leaves... you know, in the windowsill or inside the house somewhere in a sunny spot need to grow and need to rejuvenate and fatten up those bulbs so that when they go out into the garden and then come up next spring, there will be flowers on them. So that is, it's important to allow that process to happen. It is a four to six week process while the green leaves slowly get paler and paler until they're completely yellow. And then you're right, stick them somewhere and forget about them. But the question of can you plant them out before the fall? Absolutely. Yes, for sure. I would just for the reasons that Sandra mentions here that it's sometimes so hard to figure out where to put them and hard to get to where you want to put them in the fall because there's so much growing and everything is so much bigger. So, yes, I would plant them now in the spring, you know, sometime in the next few weeks uh, once they are dormant remember we plant them deeper in the garden than they were in the pots because in the pots they're right at the surface and we've spaced them out a little more because in the pots they're jammed together so in the the garden the bulbs are not allowed to touch so yeah i would get them out into the garden and and i was just talking about this with my neighbor the other day the idea of planting bulbs in such a way that as the leaves die down in the gardens so for example daffodils actually at my house are still flowering so i've got yellow flowers all over the place green, you know, grassy looking leaves that naturally grow on, on daffodils are there. And then what I've done in my past gardens, and I'm likely to do here, is then I plant something like a day lily over top of the daffodils. So as the daffodils are finished, the flowers are finished, but the leaves are still there, the day lily leaves come up, and they're so similar in, in look that they meld together beautifully. And then slowly but surely, the daffodil leaves will turn yellow, but meanwhile, slowly but surely, the day leaves are getting bigger and bigger and just fill right in over top and I never have to do any kind of maintenance and worrying about uh, sort
1: of the ugliness of those bulb leaves as they're dying down in the garden. As you uh, mentioned your property which is uh, roughly as I remember two acres mm-hmm. Um You've been rock and weed picking?
2: <laughs> yep, that's pretty much what I've been doing. Rock and weed picking. Well, wow, Elliot's got, So cute. Like, he needs things to do, right? And so I keep giving him jobs. And so one of his jobs, he went out... He was digging out all the... Um, uh, thistles. We have thistles, and you know, you just don't want those prickly things allowed to grow. They have very deep roots. So I have sent him out there to dig thistles, so he's been doing that, and um, and yeah, so it's been pretty funny watching him. So and he, he likes to get some of the rocks organized as well. He's got piles of rocks all over the place, because we have lots of rocks. This is like, I'm
1: farming rocks here. This is rock country, <laughs> if you can imagine. If, if uh, Elliot is nearby, uh, apologize for me for bringing this up, because now I can see you're going to make another honeydew list. <laughs> He's, well,
2: you know <laughs> the one thing he loves to do is vacuum. Like I never have to ask him to vacuum, but everything else I have to put it on a list because he would never think of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a riot. Okay, you know we have to take another little break here on the show, uh, and a reminder, of course, that we love to get more emails for next week's show. So please send your email to Charlie Dobbin at. Charlie, pardon me, C. Dobbin at mzmedia.com. That's c.dobbin at mzmedia.com. And we'll both return in just moments here
0: on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Frank Proctor here along
1: with Charlie Dobbin as we're answering your emails. Have one here, Charlie, from Dorothy Brown. I recently moved to a new townhouse after my husband passed away. Unfortunately, he took all his lawn care tips with him. I detached, or dethatched, pardon me, minimally fertilized and reseeded with new topsoil but no sprout yet. My lawn looks terrible next to everyone else in the development. Any tips? And also, can you tell me the name of the lovely tree on my front lawn. Well, obviously, she's sent a, a picture to you. And first of all, Dorothy, our condolences on the loss of your husband. Uh, so, Charlie, can you help her out? Yeah,
2: thanks, Frank. Um, it is
1: a lovely tree, and it doesn't really fit the criteria of
2: any flowering, white flowering, spring flowering, ornamental tree Off the top of my head, so I reached out to a couple of my tree friends. One of whom is Paul De Groot, who works at Conan Nurseries in Waterdown, and he got a little stumped by it too. So then he sent pictures around. So just so you know, Dorothy, your tree has been well viewed by lots of experts, and we've come up with what we think it is. Um, Meanwhile, Dorothy also sent me some subsequent photos that you haven't seen, Frank, of the leaves of her tree because the leaves are just starting to come out. It's so full of flowers; it's really pretty. Uh, white flowers. We're convinced it's a Bradford ornamental pear. So that's a pear that does not f- set fruit, it's grown typically just for its beautiful flowers and then it gets a nice nice shiny green leaves and very nice fall color usually so a, a good looking tree in a you know in a townhouse it's a small ornamental tree so it's a good choice for in there to enjoy that tree now in terms of your lawn you're right it does look pretty patchy but you've done the right things you've raked it um i imagine you probably don't do your own lawn mowing in there because townhouses so often will have a contractor who does all the mowing um you will you've you've roped it off so that looks like the mower people aren't able to go in and mow i would next time they're there get them to mow it because you some of it's long some of it's short the long stuff's falling over shading the uh the bare patches so you need to expose those bare patches You've added some soil, you've top-dressed, you've overseeded. You know what's your biggest job right now? Water. You've gotta maintain moisture on those grass seeds. It's a minimum of 10 days, could be as much as two weeks before you'll see anything. It depends on temperature air temperature soil temperature uh but if it's sunny weather you need to be out there watering sprinkling not not soaking to runoff point but certainly saturating those seeds so whether you do that once a day or twice a day that's your job and those uh, seeds you know if you've got good quality seeds they should come up no problem just be patient and maintain the water
1: and everything should turn out just beautifully okay uh here's a note from ruth steddle says good morning charlie I enjoy listening to your show weekly with Frank and I was wondering if you could tell me which kind of fertilizer with a weed killer you recommend. What do the numbers stand for? Uh, 34, 0, 12, that sort of thing. Then she goes on to say, and Once again, we offer our condolences here. My husband, Charlie, passed away with Parkinson's, and he was the avid gardener and knew the answers, not me. But I've acquired some skills, and I'm doing my best to keep it up. Peterborough and the county had a home beautification program many years ago, and we won first place the first year of the program, but we didn't know we'd been entered. We were invited to a dinner by the local realtors and presented with a huge painting of our home by a local artist, so thank you for your uh, response in advance, Ruth Stedall. So again, um, I guess the answer, what, what, what are the numbers standing for on those uh, packages that you get from the garden centers?
2: All right, so those are those three numbers. Uh, so uh, in her case, she gave us an example thirty four zero twelve. All fertilizers, whether they're lawn fertilizers or houseplant fertilizers or rose fertilizers, always will have three large numbers separated by hyphens in between. and if you look more closely on the bag, there'll be other items in the fertilizer, not just these three items so The first number represents nitrogen, the second number represents phosphorus or phosphoric acid, and the third number represents potassium or potash. So NPK are the um, call letters, if you will, off the periodic table. So NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Why are those numbers so important and why are they always the first thing we see on a fertilizer? Because these are essential macronutrients. So these are nutrients required in large large quantities, so to speak, for to feed and keep plants healthy. So I always um, tell people one of the easiest ways to remember what these three things are do is nitrogen is for green growth or above ground growth phosphorus the middle number is for uh, encouraging roots and in some cases flower bud formation and then the potassium or the third number is for all around vigor so just remember npk represents up down all around so up growth down growth and all around growth And um, when we feed a lawn, of course, we don't really want to grow flowers. So that's why usually that middle number is so low. And the first number, nitrogen, is so much higher because we want to grow green blades of grass. We want leaves. We want stems. We don't, like I say, particularly want flowers. And the potassium that's so important for the all round vigor is most important late in the summer, in the fall. When we are doing our fall fertilizing, we want to ensure that the turf goes into these stressful Times of winter in a situation where it's got, um, you know, good proper nutrient around the plants and the lawn will come out of the winter, the stressful winter, in far better condition with a good fall fertilizer applied. So if you're only going to fertilize once a year, do it in the fall. If you're going to fertilize twice a year, do it in the spring and the fall. And then the question about the herbicide is a good one. We don't have weed and feeds anymore. We used to uh, in the States, as far as I know, you can still buy weed and feeds, but there's not too many of them around any longer. Um, What you will find are fertilizers with corn gluten in them right now. And the corn gluten is there to help any seeds from germinating, like weed seeds, crabgrass, um, dandelions. So you will see um, fertilizer with a herbicide in the form of corn gluten strictly as a seed inhibitor. Anything else, the old traditional weed and feeds, the killexes, all that, is no longer available in Ontario. So you do have to get out your, your digger and start digging your weeds. But at this time of year, there's still time to use the, uh, the fertilizer with the corn gluten.
1: Okay. Now, uh, you know, I've just learned something here about you. You're not just the star of radio, but you're also a star <laughs> on TV. You've been doing some garden tips with Zoomer TV. We have to take a little break right now, but when we come back, I want you to tell me about that experience with Zoomer TV, uh, doing a lot of work via your laptop, okay? Okay. All right. Charlie and I will return in moments here on
0: Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer
1: Radio. Okay. uh, Just before the break, I'd mentioned that Charlie is involved with Zoomer TV offering up Some garden tips. Tell us about that, Charlie. Well, you might
2: not know this, Frank, but Zoomer has a channel on YouTube. So it's it's a YouTube.com, and then the channel is called Zoomer. And Mm -hmm. you remember, you've met Darren Maharaj, and maybe you've met Sean Stante. These are videographers that they just travel all over the place getting news stories and then they'll put together uh short videos to put onto the youtube channel and they'll use them obviously in in other places as well so i've done some garden tips over the years and this year when the magazine zoomer magazine came up they said oh we'd like to make a link to one of the the videos that you guys made in the past it's like yeah but it's so dated like it's um you know it's there's sean and i standing side by side." In a garden center talking about plants. It's like, oh, you know, clearly it's just not 2020 in that video. So Sean said, okay, we have to do some new ones. So he's been on his computer. And with his camera set up, we've been Zooming, uh, like set up a Zoom meeting, and then he and I go back and forth uh, doing some demonstrations, doing some tips, and, and it's pretty funny because, um, yes, multi-layers of technology are included, not to mention that my kitchen became a studio as does his kitchen along the way. So well, that's great. Yeah, it's fun, but it's really time consuming. I'm like, I just don't have time for this, show. <laughs> I'm like, enough for already.
1: <laughs> so folks can find it quick as way for folks to find it is by going to youtube
2: yeah go to youtube like just google youtube zoomer and once you're you'll find the zoomer youtube channel there and there's all kinds of good stuff on there
1: let's get one final question in here this from lucy kelly says hello there this is the first on writing to you and not by phone love your show here's my question i have a very pretty almond tree now flowers beautifully, but it keeps shooting up from the base of the tree. Uh, tried cutting the shoots, but they still come up, and the shoots are getting very hard and strong. Any ideas? There you are from Lucy Kelly in Grimsby. Right. So you
2: know what that is. That's a tree that's been grafted. So there is a, a root that is not the same as the almond above. It's actually probably like a pear root or even a quince root underneath. And then there's the above ground growth, which is the chosen ornamental plant. And we do that because the chosen ornamental plant may have a root system that's quite weak or not very hardy and doesn't withstand our winters very well. So grafting is done very when the plants are very young. The two different plants are put together uh, as one plant. And then the top growth of the rootstock is cut off and composted, and we allow the chosen ornamental, in this case almond, to grow. So the challenge is that these are called suckers. When you get all that growth off the base of a grafted tree, we call them suckers, and they are a problem and they get worse. The more you cut them off, the more, like every time you cut one, now you get two in that spot. You cut those two, you get four. You cut four, you get You know, it's exponential. Before you know it, you have a whole forest of suckers coming up at the base of a tree. So here's my tip. It's a bit late. I wish I'd known about this earlier. Lucy, I would have given you advice a few years ago on this whenever you see suckers coming up from the base of a tree, get out your trowel, peel back the soil, peel back whatever's there, the mulch, follow that sucker down and break it off from the base from where it's coming from. It's growing off the root. You don't want to cut it. You want to actually use your thumb and you want to Peel it backwards off the the root it's growing from or the stem it's growing from, wherever it's growing from, break it off. And when you do that, it will not grow back. So it is a process. You have to do it all the time. So what you going to do now... Same thing, pull back the soil. Uh, in this case, it's gonna be very difficult to ever break off the big old ones, but still you gotta cut them as low as you possibly can. So you gotta get below ground level. Um, yes, there's really, that's, that's the best advice I've got. Like I don't have anything else because anything you poison those suckers with will hurt the tree. So um, mulch might help slow them down a bit, but first take them, remove and cut. Cut and or break any of those suckers uh, as far down as you possibly can to slow down the growth and it usually happens now it's a real spring thing it's when the plants are you know woo it's spring everything starts to grow f- from every direction right? <laughs> hey you
1: you uh by the way had uh, an extra question come in but late last night so i don't have a copy of that but uh, do you want to deal with that
2: Sure. Diane Sovereign sent this in. She lives in Simcoe. She says, my husband and I listen to your show every week. Lately, uh, we started doing major house cleaning, wanting to unclutter closets and cupboards. Years ago, I used to buy a lot of sale items, such as baking mixes like cake and muffins, jelly powders and pudding mixes, etc., and canned pie fillings, thinking I would make all of these wonderful creations. However, I never got around to it. So my question is, can any of these items be thrown into the composter? We try to recycle and reuse as much as possible for the environment and would like to discard these items in a responsible manner. Any directions would be most helpful and uh waiting and hoping for warmer weather from diane okay great question and the answer to your question is no you cannot put those in your composter sugar does not go in the composter anything sugar-based composters are strictly for vegetable matter um or well yeah really literally vegetable matter so even coffee grounds are vegetable matter uh old salads as long as there's no dressing on them are vegetable matter uh yeah you know banana peels mango pits all that sort of stuff goes into the composter. I would never put anything that's animal-based, uh, and I would never put any sugar items into the composter because you will end up attracting so much in the way of varmints. You'll have mice, you'll have rats, you'll have who knows moving in there, but you're going to have, uh, it'll be a mess. So you'll have to dispose of those just through the green bin program if you have it. Otherwise, it's straight into the
1: landfill. Thanks for the question. Okay, and I'm looking at the little clock as it's doing a countdown in How our final segment. And where did the time go? That's amazing. We've got to close up shop for another week, but. Charlie, it's been great. There wonderful questions, by the way, folks. Thank you so very much. Mm-hmm. And keep, keep in mind, we're, yeah, we're looking for more for next week's show. C. Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com.
2: Thanks, Frank. And just a, a, just a quick shout-out to Liz Primo, who wrote the Bible on garlic, because you asked about the garlic earlier in the show. So there's a book, it's called In Pursuit of Garlic, An Intimate Look at the Divinely Odorous Bulb. So anybody who wants to know more about garlic, get a hold of this book by Liz Primo. She's Ontario-based. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Joel. Thanks to the great questions. See you all again next week.
0: This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.